today on Family Talk. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. I'm Ryan Dobson, and as you know, June is the month to celebrate dads, which is why we have searched for some of the best programs on fatherhood that we can find. Today's broadcast is no exception, and in a moment, we're going to get to that program. But before we jump into it, let me share with you about an exciting opportunity that's only available this month. As we celebrate fathers this month, we have handpicked two resource bundles to help you honor and encourage the dad in your life. For every donation we receive this month, we'll say thank you by sending you either my dad's book and DVD on Bringing Up Boys or Dr. Meg Meeker's book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. The choice is yours when you donate today. Stand with Family Talk by donating at the top of our page, drjamesdobson.org, or by calling us, 877-732-6825. So let's get to the program now. Here is former quarterback Jim Kelly and his wife Jill discussing how God restored their family on today's edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Jim, of course, is known to football fans everywhere uh, as a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. Uh, he actually went to the University of Miami. I'm not going to hold that against him, but uh, <laughs> played, played quarterback there. And then uh, was drafted in the NFL and played for the Buffalo Bills from 1986 to 1997 and uh, led his team to four Super Bowls uh, between 1990 and 1993. And that is a big deal, as every football fan knows. And he's married to Jill. Jill uh, is the founder and chairman of Hunter's Hope. That's an organization which seeks to confront the threat of a disorder. Uh, it's also a disease. Which do you call it? Crabbe disease yeah. is what we call it. It's yeah. a leukodystrophy and a lysosomal disorder. Mm. Those are big words that yeah, most genetic people... Genetic is what yes, that means. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. And that has all kinds of neurological implications. Right. Yes. Uh, what we're going to talk about that is we'll learn uh, that causes something that's very close to the Kelly's heart. Uh, Jill has also written a number of books, including her memoir uh, called Without a Word, How a Boy's Unspoken Love Changed Everything. And that's what we're going to talk about. Hey, well, I want to explain. These folks live in Aurora, New York, right? Yes. Uh, Western New York. Right. Right outside of Buffalo. Right. And uh, you all jumped on a plane today with short notice and flew all the way to Colorado. And we're going to do this program. And then you're going home uh, later today. But the fact that you would come here. And be with us means a lot to me, and I really appreciate it. Jill, I'm going to start with you. Um, how did you meet this man? How did you all get acquainted? <laughs> well, that's and, a popular uh, question these days. <laughs> yeah, because we both have different uh, memories of exactly what occurred on that night. <laughs> but no, they weren't too crazy. Well, yeah. I was. I just graduated from college. I was invited by some friends to go to a party at Jim's house. He was notorious during the Super Bowl years and really throughout his NFL career of having parties at his home after every home game. And all the players would go. So a friend knew a friend knew a friend. You know how that goes. Invited myself and a sorority sister friend of mine to go to his party, of course. You know, 
we are going, you know. <laughs> we went to the party, and eventually, somewhere in the middle of the night, I we were introduced to each other, and that's when we officially met. And towards the end of the evening, Jim was, you know, flirting here and there, throwing ice cubes at me from across the room. You and did then that. I don't remember that part. <laughs> that's well, one of the things know. that I don't remember about this conversation here. Jill, you were skeptical of this man to oh, some Oh, well, degree. yeah, of course. I mean, Jim was the Hall of Fame quarterback, you know. Everybody knew who he was. Everyone wanted a piece of him in some way. And I was fresh out of college and very naive, but yet caught up in all that his life meant, you know. Yeah. And so I was attracted to him in that sense, but not enough to allow myself to just fall into that. So yeah. we, that night, at the end of the night when we met, he asked me for my phone number. And I, he actually put it this way he said, So, how do I get a hold of you? And I said, well, you don't. So <laughs> I left without giving you really? my number. And it just so happened that that was a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it was. And then it ends up this way is because I found out she had a boyfriend. That's why she said that she couldn't give me her number. And then when I found out she broke up with her boyfriend, I called her. But I knew she knew I was going to call her. So she yeah. broke up with him knowing that that phone call was coming pretty soon. <laughs> it's got a good story. Yeah, of course. Good. It's good. And uh, yeah. look where we are today. Right. <laughs> How long did it take you to get married? Well, we... We dated for probably about four years, and then I moved to Florida with some girlfriends of mine from high school, and then Jim eventually asked me to move in with him. And at this time, neither of us are walking with the Lord. We do not have a relationship with him. We're raised in very moral households, so I took into consideration what my parents would think and how they would feel about that decision, but I knew it had to be my decision, and I chose to move in with Jim. Did you know it was wrong? I knew that it was not the right thing to do, but I didn't know the magnitude of the decision at the time because I was selfish. I was living for mm. myself and wanting, you know, the things of this world and what a lifestyle with Jim could offer. So I moved in with Jim and four months later, I was pregnant. Surprise. So, and you know, we share this and whenever I have an opportunity to speak at women's events, I share this because it's part of my testimony. It's part of what God has redeemed in my life. It's a decision that I made and that Jim made during those years of not walking with the Lord. But I'll tell you, I am absolutely for abstinence, and our girls will be abstinent until they're married. Mm -hmm. Right, Jim? You better believe <laughs> we've, it. We've got this all figured out. They will be abstinent. And they know our story. You know, I've been set free, and I don't carry any shame with me because Jesus has paid the penalty for that shame. And I'm not going to walk in that guilt or shame when I know that he has also redeemed her life yeah. and that she is, has prayed fervently before her daddy came to know Jesus. She was fervently praying more than anyone for his salvation. So God got a hold of her heart. And not only has he redeemed us, he redeemed her as well. So Now, the first child was not Hunter. Is that no. right? Yes. No. Hunter was our second child. Second child. <laughs> and uh, were you married by then? Yes, yeah. we were. Yeah, it was, ex it was a pretty exciting story because um, we were very blessed to have Aaron. And then, of course, Joe and I got married. And then that's when um, <clears throat> my football career became um, no longer. I decided to retire from the game. I played ever since I was a little boy. And I remember that day because it was January 31st, 1997, when I decided to walk away from the football field and, and start focusing on the family. And <clears throat> Jill was pregnant at the time. And, of course, uh, two weeks later on Valentine's Day, which is my birthday, mm -hmm. uh, our son was born. And uh, he was when he was born, I mean, the first thing I said was, I thank God that he's healthy. And 
From that mm-hmm. point on, after he became sick at four months of age, that's when Jill's and myself's um, direction started going opposite directions. Yeah, you began to suspect that there was something not right with Hunter. Oh, yeah. But we did. We took him home from the hospital, and he seemed absolutely fine. In, but it seemed very shortly after he was home, maybe within the first week, two weeks, he became very irritable and was crying almost all day except for when he was sleeping. So initially, you know, you're talking to the pediatrician. They said, well, he's showing signs of colic probably. Yeah. So stop nursing and try formula and try different sorts of bottles. And so we did that. And so initially he was diagnosed with colic. And we knew, okay, no, this has got to be more than colic. It is taking him an hour to have get an ounce of formula down Hmm. so that alone you know you're just and he's crying at the same time so you're thinking something is seriously wrong so we went in for a well visit and mind you this is a well visit a visit when you're expecting to go in there and they're just going to measure him and you know do his you know measure his head and his body and tell you all these great things that he's continuing to progress and we walked out that day with a diagnosis of cerebral palsy and we were just we were shocked, but shocked. we, we yeah. devastated. I was floored, devastated, you name it. Yeah. And we knew, though, that you can start intervention, and that's exactly what they said. You can start intervention right away, physical therapy, occupational therapy. So we did that immediately. We started intervening in every way that we could, but still, and a mother knows. You know, as a mom, you just know. And then he would start to have seizures. And eventually we did see a neurologist when Hunter was four months old, and he was diagnosed through a blood work. Um, some tests through blood work with Crabbe disease. And when we sat across from our neurologist, she said, he has been diagnosed with Crabbe disease. He will not live to see his second birthday. And there is no cure. There is no treatment. And if you would like, we will put a feeding tube in. You know, and uh, these were— Because he couldn't swallow. Right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Jim, you know, I'm a dad— What's going through your mind when they say there's nothing you can do? You are helpless in this situation. You said it, helpless. Um, here you are as a professional athlete thinking that uh, you could find the answers to everything. You know, you're a, a person that, you know, people came to for answers. And here I had no answer for my son. And then it got to a point where I, I said, God, why? Why son born on my birthday? Why does he have to be sick? And I was mad at God. Sure. I was anybody to try to make me feel better, wind up making me feel worse. And uh, and that's when I said that very shortly after that, within months after that, Joe and I went totally separate ways as far as our belief. Jill wind up seeking the Lord, and I wind up running away from the Lord. Mm. And uh, and running away from Jill to a degree, pretty, right? pretty much we ran away from each other, yeah. And it, was, it really almost ruined our relationship, our marriage. And it took a hit for, for eight and a half years. We were not very good communicators. <laughs> Jill would run to her mother, talk to her mother about things. I would go to my brothers. We would never talk amongst each other until we sat down with a marriage counselor. And then yeah. we started talking about things. And also, I started learning things when Jill was writing this book that I never knew about her. Mm-hmm. Until we started communicating is when we finally started realizing more about each other. Yeah. But from that point on, Jill went through a lot. Well, I, you know, and and Jim is so right, and I'm sure, Dr. Dobson, you know this in dealing with families for many years, that men and women deal with tragedy totally opposite. Yeah. And, you know, my expectations, I heaped expectations on Jim that he was never able to fulfill, 
They could only be fulfilled in Christ. I didn't know that, though, until I knew Christ. But Jim, so here I was dealing with my own grief in not necessarily the loss of Hunter because he was still alive, but the loss of our hopes, our dreams, our just all that I knew that Jim had wanted in a son, that I had given him the son, and now the son is sick. And, and wrestling with Hunter's 24-hour care. I mean, he was 24-hour care nonstop around the clock. You and we had a two-year-old. You ha- had to sleep with him or oh, did yes. sleep with him. I slept him. with him for eight and a half years. So, you because know, keep that on to a marriage. Explain why. Well, he, first of all, he was eventually, by the time he was eight months old, he was on oxygen 24 hours a day. And he needed suctioning. And he was on a feeding pump. And he needed chest therapy every four hours. Oh. So, and as he got Can older. His complications got worse. I mean, he eventually he wasn't able to blink anymore, and we had to monitor his eyes with special gel and putting special things that my mom made for his eyes. But, I mean, so, and then he he had his hip dysplasia. and I mean, so all those things, but I have to just emphasize that. So here you have this family in complete turmoil, and we are treating Hunter like he's dying for the first year and a half of his life because that's what we were told. We are hopeless until our great hope, until Jesus intervened. And then we all started living, you know, and that was the beauty of when Christ did intervene. And when I, you know, I wanted heaven for very selfish reasons. When Hunter was diagnosed, I believed that here's this little boy, he's going to go to heaven. I didn't understand the things of heaven. I didn't understand the things of God or his son, Jesus. I didn't know any of those things, but I wanted heaven. So for selfish reasons, I'm running after heaven, but I find Jesus, the author of heaven. Mm-hmm. Praise God. And Jim is running in an opposite direction. So I'm consumed at home with Hunter and seeking after God. And Jim, he's working, providing for the family, doing NBC, ESPN, all of those things, but running away from everything that was going on at home. Yeah. And you, we, you had hoped when... Hunter was born and diagnosed that that would pull Jim back into the family. Didn't well, it? I assumed because that's what happened for me. I mean, my all of my priorities changed. And then when the Lord intervened in my heart, I mean, then everything changed. But, yeah, I mean, and that's why I say when I say expectations, yeah. I just – and now I see how they were not right. My expectations on Jim – probably helped to push him away to a certain degree. And and God had to do that work in my heart. And it took time. <laughs> mm. And it took self-control and all of the things that I was lacking when I was living apart from the Lord. Jim, what were you thinking during that time? Well, the whole thing with, with Hunter was, and, and Jill, we, we just looked at things differently. Um, one of the things, I was born and raised in a family of six boys. I was always told never to cry. And Five of them played football, didn't they? We all played. So all six of us played. All six. Um, <laughs> and we played beat on each other. You name it, we did it. But I was always told never to cry. When I'd start shedding a tear as a kid, my brothers said, I'll give you something to cry about. And they'd hit you harder. So, I mean, my, imagine being raised six boys. So my way of grieving over Hunter and was not to cry until I was on my own. And I, I now know that that really hurt her because she, at times, probably thought I didn't care. Um and she was used to holding Hunter a certain way. And this is one of the things that drove me a little further away. When I would hold him, I was never holding him the right way. And even uh-huh. though um, Jill, because she, she was there with him every single day. And it just, because we both loved him so much. But that almost drove me away from holding Hunter because I never could do it right. But now that I, as I look back on it and 
see all the things that Jill went through, um, you know, I'd like to smack myself upside the head because you, we do. We handle things differently. Um, when she ran to, to Jesus, I ran away. And my own way of going to my buddies, you know, she'd have Monday night Bible study. I'd be watching Monday night football. So even, <laughs> nothing, nothing you know, wrong with Monday night Bible study because that's when I usually have our, or our men's fellowship now. Or nothing wrong with Monday night football. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But the bottom line is we just did – we handled things so differently. And that was what was driving us apart. And then I'd come home and – but I didn't have God, Jesus, in my heart, and I didn't know that. But until I did, I can look back on it now and say, now I know why I did the things I did. Now I know why Jill did and said the things she did because she was trying to bring me in when I was running from it because early in my career, I, I had the good Lord pushed on me, and it turned me off. When You mean people tried to witness oh, to you? Oh, mm-hmm. in our locker room too many times. And... I, I'm always one to be a leader. I always said it's not what you say; it's how you say it to somebody. And I think some of the players on our team went about it the wrong way. I really do. It's not what you say; it's how you say it to somebody. How you get them to um, believe in your beliefs, whether it's on the football field, whether it's you know in your church, or whether it's in your business. Being able to have people understand where you're coming from and have the passion to have them you know seek for it and and understand where you're coming from and. It took me a while, but finally I got it. You guys were a family in a great deal of difficulty, weren't you? Yes, we were. I mean, your marriage is falling apart. You've got this this little boy that you both love, and yet uh, the demands of taking care of him must have been exhausting. And it was and, exhausting and, for not only Jill, but exhausting for her mother. Uh, we had a lot of people in and out of our homes. And then we decided to um, have another girl. So we added to the family with a girl by the name of Cameron. And thank God, Cameron, uh, she carries the gene like Joe and I do. Erin, our oldest daughter, our 15-year-old, um, doesn't carry the gene at all. So she never has to worry about it. And then there's Hunter, who has the disease. Yeah. So we hit every every uh, element of uh, crab a leukodystrophy you can. And uh, but, but he lived for eight years, didn't he? Unbelievable. Yeah. He lived yeah. to be eight and a half years, and it's just a testimony that God ordains every single day that we've been given. You know, and Jim will, will give praise to... The way my mother and I cared for Hunter, but I know without a doubt, and I'm thankful that we were able to take care of him, but I know that it was Christ alone who sustained Hunter, who provided joy in the midst of all of his suffering, and ultimately, it was our one and only son, his suffering that brought us to the only suffering of Christ. So... And I can say these things because I have buried myself in God's word because I had nowhere else to go. Um, And that's how I felt. So for years, and I feel even more desperate for the Lord now than I did when Hunter was here. Mm. But, um, you know, I literally consumed myself with the word of God, and I am still consumed to this day for survival. (laughs) He had a personality. Although he wasn't speaking, he was exhibiting a personality to you all. Tell us who he was. Who was Hunter in your family, to your friends, to the people around you? Well, he was, first of all, he, yes, was full of personality, even though he could not, he was cognitively functioning. Mm-hmm. So he, even though that he wasn't able to he express. understood. Yes, he understood exactly yes. what we were saying. And eventually, when he was three years old, we did teach him to blink once for yes. But when Christ intervened and we started to treat Hunter like he was living, 
we started to treat him like he was living. Mm. So we took him snowmobiling. Yes, we had the oxygen in tow. Yes, we had the suction machine next to us in a separate you know, snowmobile. But we treated him like he was living. So we were going to allow him to have every opportunity. Were we crazy? Probably. <laughs> you know, horseback riding. I mean, the things that... And he loved horses. He loved, loved, loved his sisters. Yeah. And they spent a ton of time with him. And they still miss him desperately. Mm. But in Jim, you know, doing the things that he was able to do with Hunter, you probably want to share those. Yeah, yeah because, you know, you have to do the guy things. Yeah. And I know what we would sit down and we'd watch football games together. And uh, I would – the Buffalo Bills haven't been a very good football team as of last uh, 10, 12 years, something like that. So um, what I would do with Hunter, I'd sit down, and if Buffalo Bills weren't doing very well that particular day, I'd, I'd say, Hunter, we're going to take a little intermission here. I'd go over to uh, my archives and pull out Daddy's football game, <laughs> which we usually won, except in the Super Bowls. But we won't talk about that. But I'd pull out some of the good games and and show him how Daddy was, you know, would drop back, and I'd replay the good plays. I'd fast forward <laughs> past the bad ones, and, and he I would should... understand. Oh yes, oh yes, and you can tell because when we used to sit down and watch games together, or do, like I'd sit there and. Do you know? I'd dress up. I'd have my camouflage outfit on, and I'd do turkey calls with them. I'd do elk calls and do all my calls with them. Had them all. I'd show them all, or do the rescue heroes. He would seldomly need suctioning, and when his mind is on something that he really, really enjoys and he's feeling good, you don't need to suction him. And that's when you continue to keep doing what you're doing. But just love those times and then having Jill and them take him snowmobiling and, and some of the things that you would think for a child that couldn't walk, talk, you know, couldn't really do anything, had no motor skills, but inside you knew he was loving it. Be able to do those things, it just is unbelievable. Uh, he really did, uh, without being able to even express himself, bring you all to the Lord and to each other. And so many other people, too. Oh, it yes. wasn't just us. It took me a little bit longer. But uh, Jill, her mother, or father, father, or brother, brother, and sister, my my brother, brother his wife, so many, so many people. Because I, without, I mean, he never spoke a word, but he changed so many people's lives. And even through our foundation, when we have families coming up to us, holding their children in their arms and thanking us for our foundation and thanking us because they knew by our son's suffering. We are helping others. And automatically, I rewind the tape back to when Hunter was diagnosed, when all those people kept coming up to me saying, Jim, you are a chosen father. Mm. Through your son, you will change lives. It took me a while to understand that. Mm. I get it now. It took me, I mean, it did. It took me a while. It took me years. But I finally get it. And I wish I would have known how it feels. And I wish I would have got it a long time ago because right now I'm on a cloud that we are flying and we are now helping people and I always say this because Hunter even though you know he'll never get to run out on a football field and hear 80,000 screaming fans he's going to do greater things without speaking a word he's going to change the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of kids our time has really gotten away from us uh, I want to make reference to the title of your book again without a word how a boy's unspoken love changed everything. So where we're going, and I'd like to do another program with you, is that the Lord used Hunter to heal your relationship. Amen. He's in heaven today. He's, uh, he's not with you, but he played a role without being able to speak. Will you stay with us next time? And we will pick up right here. Sounds yes, good. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, what a great program to celebrate fathers here on Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. I'm Ryan Dobson, and before we go, let me remind you of the two resources we have handpicked to help you honor and encourage the dad in your life. For every donation we receive this month, we'll say thank you by sending you either my dad's book, Bringing Up Boys, along with the DVD from our brand new Building a Family Legacy film series. Or, if you choose, we'll send you Dr. Meg Meeker's New York Times bestselling book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. Again, the choice is yours when you donate today. Stand with Family Talk on behalf of families by calling us at 877-732-6825 or clicking the tab at the top of drjamesdobson.org. And coming up next time... We'll hear the conclusion of this program with former quarterback Jim Kelly and his wife, Jill, as they discuss how God restored their family. This is Ryan Dobson saying God bless. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again next time for another edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Family Talk is not associated with Focus on the Family. doesn't want to be encouraged to make their marriage stronger. Our new Family Talk iPhone app is designed especially to uplift your marriage in a way that makes it easy for both husbands and wives to find great resources. The customized Family Talk app tailors content around where you are in life. Whether you're a husband, wife, dad, or mom, the Family Talk app will provide you with daily inspiration to strengthen your marriage and invest into the lives of your children. Go to drjamesdobson.org forward slash app to download your free customized Family Talk app today.